Hello and welcome to the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Lee Carlo, Chapin Hemingway, Jeremy Fisk. You know the drill. together. <laughs> you get the point if you haven't figured out at this point. Uh, we are in isolation over Skype looking at each other's pretty faces and recording a, podca- a podcast on Celine Schiama's Portrait d'une dame un feu. <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> How'd I do? I've been practicing. Uh, I don't know. What honestly. vineyard is that? <laughs> yeah, I could have said it. I could have said yeah. anything. Um, that was Francois. Um, so, Portrait of a Lady on Fire from 2019, very highly acclaimed, best screenplay at Cannes Film Festival, one that we were not able to get to because it wasn't really playing in the states last year, so it didn't get any fixy consideration. Uh, but we're here to discuss it with you today. It's playing on Hulu. Um, then we've got uh, another little game that we're going to attempt, a new game. We're going to try it out. If you don't hear the game at the end of this podcast, that means Chapin deemed it unworthy, and we cut it. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see what happens. Je suis peintre. L'homme intéressé par ma fille est milanais. Nous partons là-bas, si le portrait lui plaît. Il a épuisé déjà un peintre avant vous. Que s'est-il passé Je ne sais pas. Il vous attend. Um, all right, guys. So, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, briefly, just kind of go over wh- this, what this movie is about, and then I want to talk a little bit about how we approach this movie and how we can recommend uh, everyone else approach this movie. Uh, it's about two women. One is an artist who's commissioned to paint a portrait of the other one, and without getting into too many details about it, a love story unfolds between the two of them. Um and I think we'll get a lot into, you know, the themes of this movie and what's explored because that's a lot of what this movie is about. But, you know, basically with a movie like this, one that's subtitled, it's a slow burn. Like I said, it's rich in themes, but it's not terribly plot or story driven. Um, I think that can end up getting a sort of a blanket recommendation which ends up being detrimental. So in other words, you can say, oh, wow, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, is, is, it's a beautiful movie. Uh, it's, it's rich in theme. It's, it's got a lot to say. But just basing your recommendation on that, people are going to go into this, and ultimately what they're going to get is a movie that's subtitled and a slow burn, and that can be difficult for a lot of audience members. So I just kind of want to talk in, in broad terms a little bit about movies like this and how we can approach recommending them and making sure when people see them that they're understanding what they're getting into and that they aren't getting into a situation where we're being like, what is this that I'm watching? Like, I don't want to read these subtitles anymore. This movie's taking forever. And they're not giving it the chance that it needs. I mean, maybe this movie just isn't for everybody, but where do we kick that off, Chapin? Um, well, I'll say this, uh, and I and I don't mean this in like a as sort of probably snippy as it sounds, but I know a lot of people talk about 
um, you know, people who aren't necessarily into movies as much as we are talk about, you know, the Oscars being very, um, you know, male centric and, you know, the male dominance of Hollywood. And um, this is a movie directed by a woman. Um, it's shot by a woman, the same cinematographer who, who, who did the very beautiful Atlantics uh, this year as well. Oh, really? Very accomplished cinematographer. Um, and it's also a woman, uh, an LGBTQ woman who wrote and directed this. And I think, um, I mean, we can talk about why this movie is very approachable, um, uh, after this, but I do think like you, people want to change the landscape. And I think the, the, really the best thing you can do is to vote with your dollar. And in this case, you don't even have to vote with your dollar. You can go and watch it on Hulu. Um, Assuming would, you, somebody's paid for Hulu. Assuming somebody's paid <laughs> yeah. for Hulu, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I mean, I just think like, you know, there's reasons, there's there's obviously a lot better reasons to check this movie out. It's a great movie, in my opinion, but um, I also think like, you know, there's a, it, this is the kind of movie you want to support when we talk about these things. And I think you can really, you know, put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, um, when you do. And I think it, it's... Uh, they're not going to be. They're not always going to be the most accessible movies, um, and by accessible I mean the ones that you can kind of fall asleep on your couch and watch while you're, you know, browsing Instagram. You know, you're, they're right. going to be a little more involved. And for us, that's fantastic. We love movies like this. Um, but maybe the average film goer who's, you know, looking for something to take their mind off work on a Friday night may not be their first choice. But I would recommend, you know stretching your comfort zone a little bit and trying to check this out because I think you want to support filmmakers like this. Yeah. Um, to answer your question, I, I think a good way to go about this is to compare it to last year's best picture winner, Parasite, another foreign film um, that became very accessible to a lot of people and a lot of people who never um, – watch movies with subtitles went and and decided to uh, take on that barrier and watch Parasite. So I think part of the reason that obviously Parasite got much more acclaim is it came out earlier, it had time for people to see it, it had time for an audience uh, before all the award seasons, whereas this kind of came out way too late in the year. I mean, we didn't even get to see it for the Fixies, which is a, a shame, and I'm sure we'll discuss whether or not we would have slotted some of these aspects um, into the Fixies if we, if we could have. Um, but on a personal level, comparing this to Parasite, uh, Parasite had as much if not more acclaim going into it and I feel like for me the expectations of this movie in a way hurt it a bit because I sort of I put it on par with Parasite as far as foreign films that are just must-sees that hit it out of the park that are already deemed great films and I, I put this movie in that category as well when I went to see it and I really enjoyed it, but I did have to kind of temper my expectations about halfway through, realizing, like you say, Lee, it's a slower burn, um, and it's maybe not going to have the twists and turns of Parasite, the the dark comedy of Parasite, um, and the as maybe clever a themes as Parasite. Um, once you kind of temper your expectations a little bit, it this movie 
does pay off dividends. But uh, personally, that's sort of if I had to compare the the films, um, that's sort of how I went in. Yeah, I think bringing up expectations is a is important, and it ties in because it's it's again it's a recommendation. I mean, um, ninety five on. 95 on Metacritic, which I'm just pulling up right now. I want to see where that stood stood um, last year. I'm guessing it's it's one or two in terms of of highest ranked highest ranked critically uh, of 2019. Um, but I also, I, you know, I wrote down the same thing. I'd read some read some things about this being the great, literally the greatest love story ever put on on film, and 95 on Metacritic, and you know, take that out of the equation. What I wasn't prepared for is a move, and I wasn't unprepared, but a movie that you have to go into and really focus on, really pay attention. And like Chapin said, it's you know that's not necessarily for everybody. It's not necessarily what people are looking for from movies, especially these days. But when you have movies like that, you tend to get rewarded. Um, Parasite did is you an get, example. Did you get rewardedly? I liked this movie a lot. I think. I've watched it nearly two times now, and I did that not so much because I liked it so much, but more because I knew that this movie had a lot to say. And anytime you're watching a movie with subtitles, you, you tend to miss certain things, and you want to revisit aspects of it. And um, I, I, I really, and I talked about the themes. Like I really think there's so, so much to discuss with the themes of this movie and what Skiyama is is exploring here. Um, both in the idea of women's place in the world and also how we look at each other and how we judge each other. And I think that's all done in a really unique way. Um, but at the same time, sort of in an obvious way, uh, using kind of the mm-hmm. painter metaphor. Um, so I think that's smart. And I think that's that's interesting. And setting it in the you know, you know 1700s in France gave her the opportunity to, to place these women in a, in a world... Um, where they really have nothing and no rights or anything. Well, the, the the thematic boundaries are set a lot clearer. Yes. So that's what I took away a lot from this movie. Now, was this movie that I was, you know, overly entertained by or found myself really itching to watch again? Like I said, I watched it again more to prepare for the podcast. No, it's not something that I would necessarily recommend as one of my favorite movies that I saw um, of 2019, but this movie is incredible for a lot of other reasons. Well, surface level, like one of the first things that hit me, and I think like you talk about sort of obviously, but it obvious done beautifully, mm-hmm. is the framing of this movie mm-hmm. and how a, almost every frame in this movie is in itself sort of a... 18th century portrait mm-hmm. uh, where they are in the castle on that island where she situates her characters within that frame what they're dressed as like they all if you take screenshots um, they all look like paintings obviously the our main character is sent to the island to as a painter to get a portrait of Helos Hel- Eloise and Marianne. Um, so obviously, the the thematics of painting there um, was 
quite striking. I mean, it reminded me of sort of Barry Lyndon or Melancholia, other movies that I feel like you could take any one of their frames and uh, put it up on your wall. Chapin, you really enjoyed this movie? I loved it. I was going to say, I think had I seen this before the Fixies, um, I think it might have been, it might have changed the top three up a little bit. Wow. wow. Yeah. All right. Um, go ahead. Go on. I I just loved it. I thought it was... Look, I mean, we, we sort of talked about... Uh, I mean, I sort of alluded to the idea that this movie isn't approachable. And when I say that, I mean, I think people will be hesitant to choose to watch this movie because it is French. It will have subtitles if you don't speak the language. <laughs> um, it kind of has that kind of art house feeling to it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think this movie is very simple in such a very yeah. powerful way. I didn't have any trouble with the subtitles. There's not a ton of dialogue. In other words, like there's just not like, it, you know, you can, I felt like you could watch the movie without, you know, having That's to sort of point. stop and read the subtitles. Um, and I think it's also about all these issues we're talking about, but it it does it. It attacks those issues. It demonstrates those issues in such a, um, approachable way in the sense that we we learn what it's like for these women to live in this time period, but we we're we're we we're we're almost tricked into realizing that you know like you sort of fall for the story and what's happening and you're invested in it and it's very simple. This woman, um, Nomi Merlant, who plays Marianne, goes to this small island um, in uh, off the coast of France to uh, paint this portrait of a woman um who i guess is uh, a noble woman or she's the she's the sister of a of the heir to this family and she's got to be married away as women were in that time to a nobleman uh from milan i guess an italian man um and the way they did that instead of you know sending sending your picture through tinder you would uh, have a <laughs> you'd have a portrait painted and then sent to the man. And so a lot was riding on this portrait being, I guess, both accurate, but also painting this woman in a, in a, in a, in attractive way. Um, and so Marianne is very specific about wanting to capture her. Um, and, and she's resistant at first. And so, um, it's a very simple story, but that just reveals so much. And by the end, you know, you're invested in the story, but then you realize, oh, now I understand a little bit about what life was like for these people back then. And I think um, it does it in such a beautiful and touching way and it's such a fun way. And there's really only like four characters in it mm-hmm. um, and you get to know them so well. All women. All women. I um, what I you mentioned it a little bit, Chapin, what I liked most about this movie was sort of the language of looks. Like, you mentioned that you don't have to necessarily read the subtitles. a lot of unspoken things, and so much of this movie is how the characters are looking at each other, how they're looking at the camera. And that ties in with the whole theme of that, that works with the painting, you know, motif. That, you know, you can learn so much about a person if you allow yourself to be seen, if you allow yourself to look closely. And I think that's what this movie is about. Like you get, you get these really intimate moments with both uh, Mariant and Eloise's 
looking at each other or looking at something and just, you know, whether it's a kind of a, you know, <laughs> for lack of a better description, a resting bitch face that Eloise has a lot um, or <laughs> <laughs> or a sort of this just like slightly naive but, you know, um, ultimately a, a positive and happy person that you get this look from with Marianne. Like, I think you you learn about them through those and they learn about each other and there's a scene a very you know specific scene where they talk to each other about that and what they've learned about each other and just these moments where they're staring at each other as they're painting um and i just loved that aspect of this movie that and i like that a lot when you have things that are so clear about the theme of the movie and you don't have to use dialogue to do it and this movie did a great job with that isn't that essentially making this movie super cinematic I mean, definitely is. It's like an amazing example of show don't tell. Like yeah, use, it, using your camera to capture these moments your, and these these using scenes, your yeah. camera, using the canvas to to capture the story. And you talk about you, that you don't need to really uh, un, or or the dialogue sparse, and um, it, you can you can sort of tell the story without it. Like a good example of that is when uh, Marianne first gets onto the island, she talks to the mother, and the mother sort of describes uh, Eloise, and uh, you don't see her for the first, I don't know, 15 minutes, and there's all these sort of clues to her. And even if you didn't hear any of the dialogue, you get those clues um, through... You know, there's the picture of her without the head because she couldn't. The other guy couldn't finish the portrait. And then when you first see her entering the room, it's always the it's these close-ups of her dress and uh, she has the hood on. Yeah, and she has the hood. Finally, she reveals it. So it's like little things like that um, that make this movie so good. Yeah, it's just it's this really sharp, smart filmmaking and. You know that that to me was enough for this movie, um, but I'll get into a couple of the specifics that that just I had a little bit of a hard time with. Um, one was Marianne's motivation. Um, you learn a good amount about Eloise. You learn that she's to be married off. You learn that she's not interested in this marriage, mostly because she doesn't really know anything about the person, um, which you know gets more into the theme of you know the lack of rights that women had. Um, and you can kind of understand, you know, the sense of loss that she has. Her sister committed suicide, uh, allegedly. And you realize that, you know, she's probably looking for something else in life than what sh- is being put forth for her. So you can understand her her motivation and her uh, eventual attraction to Marianne. But on the flip side, you don't learn a lot about Marianne. And I, I struggled a little bit with her motivation and where she was coming from. And so that made ultimately the love story when they finally get together a little bit less believable. Hmm. I think you know I think you learn a lot about her. You learn that she uh kind of lives in the shadow of her father a little bit. She's taking over his business. It seems like that really isn't an option for her. That seems like she's sort of forced into it, which Sort of begs the question, you know, what if you didn't have any, any talent painting? What would you do? Right. Um, I would but, love to see that movie at the end. <laughs> yeah. Like, like what got if, an what eyeball if down me, here. What if they like, made <laughs> me draw? Oh, she's the new Picasso. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
I I feel like you know her. I mean, I, I think um, Lee, you and I. I don't know Jeremy if you ever listened to it, but uh, Lee, I know you listen to the Big Picture a lot, and uh, one of the co-hosts of that show, Amanda Dobbins, loves that Adele Hanel woman. Um, and I thought she was great too, but I really kind of fell for Naomi okay. Merlant. I think Who, she. I thought she was fantastic. Despite I did too. The fact that I, I think I they both missed, were. Despite they the were fact that I were. missed the motivation of her character, I thought, yeah, but they were both good. But what you um, what you lose in what you lose in sort of a lack of a backstory and exposition of her character, I think, you know, the camera and the movie, I feel like, is very much about her, and and you you are with. I, it's very the much camera told fucking her loved eyes. her in yeah. this, like the screen presence that that one. I mean, you're, this movie is about you know having uh, Adele Hanel's character being painted, but I thought the screen presence of of um, Naomi Merlot was unreal. Like every time she was on camera, she just like st- like controlled the frame, which was fantastic. And a lot of that has to do with again the looks, the smiles, the eyes. I thought that was was great. She almost Same. had a modern feel to her, though. Did anyone else think well, she, that? She looks like I thought she looked like uh, Emma Watson, the, fr- the French Emma Watson. But not that that has anything to do with the modern feel to her. But um, but she also has a little bit of a mo- more modern character if you think about her taking over her father's right. business and things like that. So I think that's intentional. Um, yeah, her I, performance I thought was great. But I still, her character was where I struggled a little bit um, with well, if this. We're, if we're talking about performances, I do want to talk about that sort of end scene um, that Adele Hanel kind of pulled off where the camera never leaves her as she's sitting in the balcony um, listening to the uh, opera. Four mm-hmm. seasons, yeah. Yeah, I think that really was some of the best acting I've seen in a long time. Those sh- those types of shots, you know, y- you love you love seeing movies end with shots like that. I mean, Jeremy, we we did it, achieved it, pulled it off yeah, with Through the obviously. Woods. This the long lingering shot, just kind of trying to capture emotion and you know thoughts. Um, the, I love movies that end like that, or well, regardless of whether they're ending like that. I love movies that have scenes like that. You think about the scene in Boogie Nights with Wahlberg um, mm. that we've talked about before at the at the uh, drug deal where it just holds on him, and you you can somehow see in the performance everything that he's thinking, and you get that there, which is great. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like this, The reason I asked you guys the opening question is because I can understand just from my experience watching this movie how this can be very hard for people to get into and and avoid turning off in some cases. Well, here's like, here's a question for you. In but there it has so much to say. It's a great movie. In that vein, did you did you buy the love story, and which well, is kind well, of the key to this whole thing? Yeah, and that that was a it, little bit of the challenge for me because because I think maybe it was because I had issues with the the motivations and and of Marianne. Maybe it was something else, but I I did struggle a little bit with with this love story like whether or not i bought it yeah i agree and i i, I mean I, ultimately i think i got there i think once they were able to act on it i turns <laughs> like once they kissed yeah well in a, <laughs> I was in a way in. obviously it's such a taboo thing back then um the fact that they 
like the fact that they needed to get to the place where they could kiss, it seemed to me I I needed more than just looks. Yeah. What do you think, Chapin? Obviously, you bought the love story. What do you think did it? Um, I don't know. This is, this is dead air. No, no, no. I, I, I think I, I, that this is going to take anything away from from the love story. Um, I think that they probably are very much, you know, a, a re, you know, a couple that could fall for each other. But there, the, the the circumstances under which they find themselves. I mean, let's just take these two women who we can presume, you know, have not felt have felt, you know, inclinations for women before. Let's can we assume that? Right, I, sure. I mean, um but have not known it. And then they're on this island by themselves essentially with this other with the with anything the, happens with on the island. <laughs> no, but yeah. I mean seriously, that that was one of my favorite parts when the when the mother left and yeah. they're all kind of on their own yep. to figure out their lives and it's it kind of becomes a little bit of a hangout movie, you know, like we kind of get to watch right. these three girls have a good time together and yeah that is that is pretty great they have like this one moment in time and they all seem to know that they're never going to have this moment again where they can do and be who they want to be for whatever it is six days seven days that she's gone and that's it and the clock's ticking and the clock's ticking and they have a good time and they help this girl out and you know like drugs they do some drugs and (laughs) Um, yeah. They try to have an abortion. They do all the things. I, I want to talk a little women. bit about that abortion. The abortion. <laughs> but uh, you know, like I, I, I think, um, I think that that makes you. I mean, I don't want to get too like philosophical here, but like I think you find like it's it's not so much about you know the perfect couple finding each other. It's just that like the circumstances I, presented I think, themselves yeah. with these two, and and I yeah. think and, I agree that it's. I you know despite the fact that reviews claim this is the greatest love story ever put on film or whatever it may be and that that this movie builds up to a love story it it may be a a much less important aspect of the movie in that this is a little bit of a hangout movie this is a movie about what you know women want and you know what, <laughs> like <laughs> On an island, just get them all alone on <laughs> no. an island. Anything can happen, bro. Be serious, goddammit. Um, no, and I think that, that, you know, like I said, like this movie is very rich in theme. It explores a lot of important things. So where the story goes maybe is a little bit less important, and the story goes towards this love story. And, you know, maybe this is this is a little bit conservative of me to think this, but, like, I, I struggled with you know, this movie leading to a love story where I feel like if I watched this movie, you know, um, that was portraying, you know, a a man and a woman that in similar circumstances and they have another friend and they hang out and they do some drugs and then, and they have chemistry. And then you, you as an audience member want to see them get together. That's a, a sort of natural thing that you see in a lot of movies here. You have different circumstances, uh, where you have two women. So maybe, Look, like I said, maybe this is a, a horribly conservative thing of me to say. Like it's maybe it's just a harder thing to understand or wrap your head around or see progressing. Um, in well, this I movie. think in seventeen whatever it's seventy whatever, yeah, whatever year this came out, yeah, um, that that uh, becomes a more difficult 
in which case to... this movie adds another you know something else that's really well done and in, in being sure to capture that barrier well yeah and also I, I think it's so crazy and so risky that the there's an abortion that happens sort of as the backdrop to this love story that is highly secondary and they sort of deal with it at in between falling in love yes. what do you think of that well, decision I see again this is where I come back to that this movie maybe isn't quite as much about the love story the love story is another example of a right a woman has to love whoever she'd like an abortion is a right that a woman should have uh, you know marrying who you want to marry or, or not being sent off to marry a guy in Milan is a right that a woman should have and I think that those all those are all little pieces of this movie that are trying to explore this this idea. Of course, of course, and I mean, it makes it again these themes. It makes the theme so much ob- more obvious, and not in a bad way. When we say that normally, it's a negative, but it makes it so much more obvious about this movie being about women's rights by throwing in the biggest women's right in the middle of it. Yeah, well, I now, think you can learn a lot from what happens in the movie, and to to sort of. Uh, deconstruct or decode the director's intentions. I mean, like we know, we learn that um, Marianne has had an abortion before uh-huh. and yet they are, they, they go to this, I mean, in, 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 they, they go to this kind of, I don't know, witch doctor or, you know, she's <laughs> after well, making her run laps. That yeah, was the first they, attempt. <laughs> they may, they try to, they try all these attempts, but eventually they, take they it to try this, to hang her, take it to this woman <laughs> To, to do the abortion and they and the two the two ladies Marianne and Eloise are there and they watch and Marianne who's had the had an abortion before looks away when it's happening and Eloise tells her to look she forces her to watch and we later understand why that was was for them to be able to reproduce it when they're Which back in, in the safety either. of the th- well I think her point was she you know you should see this so that you can paint it so that you can show people what this is like. Right. And um, I find that to be very interesting. I think that, that you can get at the motivation of Celine Sciamma, you know, in that moment. Is that, you know, like the, it's on screen to, to witness it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Portrait yeah, of a Lady on right. Fire. Um, you know, I guess, you know, to bookend my, my thoughts with my opening question, like I just, I think we all encourage people to watch this movie. I think you, and, and it's not about watching it with an open mind in terms of like, Oh, just, you know, let yourself in, let yourself like this. It's a movie you have to pay attention to. You know, I, I don't think that there's anything we said in this podcast that spoils anything. Like you can kind of use it as a tool to help you to guide you through kind of exploring the themes of this movie because but like I said, you know, I don't. I, think, I don't think it's hard to pay attention to. It's not, and that, both in but terms of a, it's a simple, simple but an movie, additional, but it's also a pleasure to pay attention. And to. aesthetically, like I said at the beginning, it every frame's a painting. It's beautiful to look at. I know, but I think I think something that we take for granted is our ability to appreciate those types of things in movies. We are we think, are brilliant scholars, so it, yeah. we are just so. I just want to be able to encourage the average audience member to watch a movie like this and appreciate it for what it is. Because I just, 
I don't know. I just am imagining so many people watching it and not really paying close enough attention to dig up the themes that this movie is covering, but instead hear the first opening lines, oh, I'm here to paint her because, you know, no other painters have been able to do it, and then really just trying to paying attention to that plot line. How is she going to get her painted? You know, that's... But that's not this movie. And I think the average audience member is going to hear that task. That's the objective of our main character. And they're going to follow that storyline instead of looking a little deeper. And I think that's easier said than done. But I just think that's, you know, what a lot of movies are. Basically, they're just simple storylines that are easy to follow. So, you well, know, Leah, I, this I isn't discrediting you. our audience. I just think that this is a movie that challenges you and you need to be able to be up for the task and you're going to get rewarded. I agree with that argument. I think it's a smart one and I'm glad you're making it, but I do think that that the, the entry into the film being the task of having to paint the woman's painting. I think that's a, that's a really accessible entry point for people. It's like, Oh, sure. okay. Well, yeah, now I understand she's, she's this, this, I understand this woman's here to do a, a job and she can't get it done and she's got to figure out how to do it. Um, and I will, I, I'll also say that, I, I think that um, I think that the movie, the movie is. If you, if you've ever watched a movie, like let's say you you watched a movie version of Downton Abbey, you know, like mm-hmm. there's always going to be that like first ten they or made fifteen. That, by the way, they did make that <laughs> that that first ten or fifteen minutes of the introduction to the world. You know that that, that yeah. shows about class and, and you've got all these things like we all, we got we met, we've got to make sure the audience knows X. And you're just dropped into Portrait of a Lady on Fire. You're just dropped into mm-hmm. this world. You're not told this person is this, this person is that. You're sort of left to figure it out on your own, which I think is so always so smart. And it's always, I, I, I think, yeah, a brave like thing for better. a filmmaker yeah. to do. And you kind of discover that, okay, these these people are of three different classes, these three women. And um, but they're not it's not shoved down your face in your down your throat. You 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 it you sort of it sort of sneaks up on you and you realize and I think that makes this movie so much more accessible because it doesn't make you don't have to go through those sort of tired motions of okay, well this is who this person is and this is who that person is and the, this is this you know social structure of the late 18th century. It, it, I don't think it's necessary and you really just come be able to experience it in such, such a more real way this way, I think. Yeah. I mean, it lacks exposition to a certain extent. Yeah. Which, in, again, in not to way. not to beat a dead horse, but like, yeah, it is, an, it is good. I love it when we're dropped into these worlds, but not to beat a dead horse, but that's another barrier for people. When they're dropped into these movies and they say, I don't understand where I am. I don't understand what's happening. I'm not trying to insult our audience. Like, I'm, I'm speaking in very broad terms, but I just, you know, I, I we talked, Chapin, it might have been on a quick fix or maybe it was on a podcast with both of you. I talked about how, you know, I was hearing from people about movies that we talked about on the fixies and, you know, some of them they didn't like. And I felt like maybe that was a little bit of our fault because we didn't prepare people for the type of movie that they were going to go into. You know, we said, oh, we loved that movie. It was one of our favorite of the year. That's and so then, funny that you bring that so up. So people watch it, you know. So yeah. I, I think... Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Chapin, you're saying it could have been one of your top three movies of last year. You know, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about where this might have fallen in some other fixie categories. If people just hear that, or they just see the 95 on Metacritic, which I, I, I looked is the second highest rated movie next to Parasite from last year, 
then they say, oh, I have to watch it. I'm going to watch it tomorrow night without thinking about, you know, maybe a Tuesday night's not the best time to watch this after a day at work. Like maybe it's, maybe, you know, maybe. So, you know what I mean? So um, it's funny. You asked that my mom texted me the other, yesterday and was like, what would, what should me and my, my boyfriend watch? Uh, Knives Out or Uncut Gems? And I'm like, Knives out. Knives out. Knives out. Yeah. Knives out. And it's like, okay. I mean, but the thing is, there's nothing wrong with sort of knowing your audience. I mean, yeah. you answering right. that. Of course not. Knives that out instead of uncut gems to want your mom to watch. It's, okay, you know, but you're knowing your audience. But also, like, take, all right, take our moms, for example. Like, I think my mom could appreciate Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I don't yeah, I think, think my mom would. I don't think it. it's a movie that she would love but i also have gotten the impression over the years how my mom watches movies and like what she likes out of movies so i i have to kind of cater my recommendations to that just like chapin did like the simple answer knives out over uncut gems is it a better movie no but if you give your mom the long answer and say look you know prepare yourself for a thrill ride type of experience. Like, well, maybe that's something maybe, we should, maybe that, well, maybe I, that deserves a, a, a deep dive on a different podcast, but yeah, yeah my mom actually how to recommend all, moms to your mom. We all love uncut gems, but yet we're not willing to recommend it to our mothers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My mom actually saw a portrait of a lady on fire. Good. Um, she, yeah. She said there wasn't enough nudity. Uh, that's weird. That's a weird thing I'm to just say. Just kidding. She never sucked. Yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> um, okay. So, Chapin, maybe a top three uh, of the year last year. Um, yeah. No. I, but I'm. You. I mean, do we get to consider this as a fixie for no, 2020? Uh, so. Well, I, we could I, debate that. Yeah, we'll debate that down the line for another time. Um, well, and since we, I guess we're, I guess since we may debate that down the line, then maybe we'll we'll hold off on where this may have fallen for any fixie nominations but i mean for me i definitely would have would have put in the the ladies in an acting category i think both of them yeah okay. cinematography screenplay maybe yeah look. yeah um did you guys recognize the the mom in this yeah from hot shots oh i so i didn't know if she was in that i saw recognize her as a uh, tom cruise's girlfriend in rain man right right <laughs> yeah is she french yeah. italian French or Italian or she's Italian. Italian. Oh, is that why they have that brief Italian? Oh yeah, they speak in they ta- Italian. They speak in Italian briefly. Yeah, I mean, I had to look it up, but I was like, I recognize this woman from something, and then I, of course, you pull her up. The first image is from Rain Man. Um, in Hot Shots, I never saw that. Um, okay. The game. Should we move on? The game. Let's do it. All right. So, hopefully, this is, ends up being interesting, at least for us. Um, I was thinking, um, I got the I sort of stole the idea a little bit, Jeremy, from Sarah, who is. Um, what you giving her credit? Well, I mean, I came up with the idea, yeah. and I and then I mentioned it to Sarah, and she said, "Amazing idea." Yeah, so, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, so I was like, "All right, so here here's the scenario, guys." Well, and we can do it a few times, but I and I thought it might be interesting just to kind of see where we end up after we. Do we need a we pen and paper for this? No, I have one just to keep track. Um, but okay. we are we are producers now. We've moved up in the world. We're big studio producers. We're about to green light a film. But we who's need... going to play each of us in the Get Your Film Fix movie? Yeah, that's what will be interesting. Yeah, um, I mean Leo is interested, from what I understand. But anyway, we've got to we've got to hire um, our cast and crew. Um, 
so my my thought process would go we kind of go in a circle one of us gives decides who's going to direct the movie who or first who's going to write the movie who's going to direct it star in it maybe sh- who's going to film it and mm. I'll, and I'll put it all together and we'll one see you know if we feel like we've got a good cast and crew that we can make a good movie but then secondarily see if that movie's been made or close to it you know what i mean like how would we not know so we're sort of just spitballing real quick so you want to think a little bit about okay who would if if you know we say a writer who would be a good director to film his script who would be a good actor to work in that in that with that director and we'll get a we'll get a few we'll try a quick one here and then and then see if we feel like we've got a movie and then say okay how much is this movie going to cost us forgetting about actor salaries but like okay so if we've got a movie that's that Christopher Nolan's directing starring Tom Cruise like what kind of movie is that going to be how much budget do we need and then we can also look and say okay is this is this mission impossible was this already made is this you know uh, uh, au revoir les enfants has this already been made <laughs> all right well let's give it a whirl all right so Chapin you're up first we need a writer Ugh. writer fuck okay we need someone to write a script, a brilliant script. They're going to option a book. Okay. Or maybe not. David Mamet. Oh, okay. David Mamet. Jeremy, we need a director. Uh, I'm going to go with Spike Jones. Spike Jones directing a David Mamet script. All right. And then uh, we're going to need a leading actor and a leading actress. Okay, this actress. hasn't been made, so we know that. Okay. Leading actor and leading actress. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say we're gonna uh, we're going to star Joaquin Phoenix. Okay, they've worked together before. That's believable. Yeah. How about we need an actress, Chapin? <sighs> any, any any. Well, no. You want to think about who would work with Spike Jones and who would work with with mm. Mammoth Script. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I'm actually already sort of questioning my Joaquin Phoenix pick, but well, do you want to revise that? No, I'm stay. We gotta stick with it. Okay. Um. How about Michelle Williams? Oh, great. Ooh, okay. Uh, Jeremy, who's gonna shoot this movie? So this is this is interesting because this is not like it's not like you need Janusz or uh, or Chivo or something for this. Uh, Bob Richardson. Okay, yeah, he can do everything. <clears throat> All right, any other actors we want to add to this? Um, man, I would say Once Upon a Time, Kevin Spacey really should have been in this movie, but. Uh, bring him out of retirement. <laughs> Kevin Spacey. Box office and box. the return of. <laughs> get, they're giving us $36,000 to make this movie. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna actually, I'm going to give Ray Fiennes a call. Oh, yeah. Good. I'm going to see if he, he's interested. Um, Chapin, anybody else you want to add to cast yeah. the crew? Let's add uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Oh, okay. I like that. Anybody else you want to add, Jeremy? 
uh, that we can afford at this point because we got some some yeah. bigger names going. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd really like to see if we can get her is Elizabeth Moss, but okay, we'll I don't, ca- we'll I don't know her. if we're going to be able to. All right, so here's what we got, guys. So, and and we'll we'll outline this a little bit for our audience. So we've got a David Mamet script. David Mamet's uh, he wrote uh, Wag the Dog, Glengarry and Ross, State in Maine. Um, Spike Jones is our director. Directed her Where the Wild Things Are. Um, and, of course, you know our actors, Joaquin Phoenix, Michelle William, Ray Fiennes, Daniel Kaluuya, Elizabeth Moss. So what is this movie about, guys? What, what, what would a movie with that cast and crew be about? It hasn't really been made yet. There's no, well, I think it's got to be a crime caper. Oh, okay, interesting. But it's I mean, gotta I was be, thinking... it's got to be a little bit kind of like, I mean, it's going to be hard to make this work with Mammoth, but it's got to be kind of quirky because it's Spike Jones. It's got to be a little. It's got to be yeah. a little twisted. It got, it got See, a little twist on it. I was thinking political thriller of some kind. Oh, that'd be good. That that would good. That would go well. Yeah. And Spike Jones, I feel like could could add a, some levity to that. Um, as could our cast. I mean, you think about funny Ray Fines, not Schindler's List Ray Fines. I know those I are thought he was mutually hilarious. exclusive. <laughs> um, Joaquin Ugh. Phoenix, we know, can be funny. I'm, I'm oddly picturing Joaquin Phoenix in Inherent Vice for some reason in this movie. I'm not sure why. Um, but yeah, political thriller. This could work. Can it be maybe, you know, at this point we can fill out the cast. I mean, we don't have to do it on here, but it could be sort of like a, more of a Altman-esque, like so a large cast. Bigger cast, maybe a little yeah. less expensive cast members. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we don't have real expense. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is probably expensive he's, now, but Michelle Williams, Ray Fiennes, yeah. Daniel Kaluuya, Elizabeth Moss are not real expensive. If we're if we're doing like a bang for your buck, I feel like you're, you're we're not going to get a lot out of. I wish you wouldn't have picked Walking Phoenix. Well, I didn't know what we had for that was one of the, that's the interesting piece. Like I picked him; oh, he was the first I, I, actor. He I won picked. the best. He just won best actor. Oh, who who should I think no, of? No, he oh, didn't win best aesthetic. actor. He did. No, he did win. No, he didn't. Um, um, the you guy from the two popes won. Jonathan, Jonathan Price. Price. Jonathan Price. One, that's um, true. But that's the interesting part of this game. So, like I said, Joaquin Phoenix. But then we rounded out this cast, and now it's looking like a different type of movie. And now, so I don't know. Do we replace Joaquin Phoenix? How could we do that? Well, we could. Nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we we say. I mean, his. We know his quote is doubled. Yeah, yeah he wants twenty million. So sorry. Next, oh, he wants. Okay, no, so. no, no. He wants fifteen million and twenty against twenty percent of the gross. Okay, Which we're so, not doing because we're the producers, and we want to live large. And so who are we bringing in to replace him? <laughs> There's three of us. we got to divide un- all our money divided by three. An, an unknown? I mean, Chapin, this movie's not making very much. It's a, a Spike Jones movie. Yeah, but we're going we're gonna to save that money for amazing, like we'll have a kickoff party, a midway party, oh, yeah, and a wrap party. That'll be awesome. All right, let's do one more just for, just for the sake of it, all right? Okay. Jeremy, we'll start with you, yeah. right, a writer. Uh, so, obviously, he's going to write it, but I guess he's not going to direct it. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do uh, Martin McDonough. Oh, okay. That's shape things. 
Okay, so now my obvious director pick now, because we've talked about this, is Edgar Wright, but I'm not going to do Edgar Wright. i got to think outside the box here, since we've already talked about that before. Martin McDonough, I'm going to... Man, Spike Jones would be good. Fuck. <laughs> um, let's see. All right. Um, Can I recommend somebody? Could I recommend somebody? Well, I was going to say Yorgos Lanthimos. I mean... You could. That could. I, I, but no, you can't recommend. That's the whole point. Is that like yeah. you? Because you had a uh, image in your mind when you said Martin McDonough. So like the whole point is the idea that somebody else has to say something. But I'm gonna go with. Um, hmm. I'd be okay to get skipped if Chapin. If you have a director in mind. I do. Okay. How about Taika Waititi? Oh, that's a great. Mm, okay. That's a great pick. I like it. Um, get right. a little darker with his stuff. Um, um, all right. So we that need... that wasn't what I was. I mean, I'm just gonna say it. Yeah. It's not the choice, but I, I was thinking the Coen Brothers directing a McDonough movie. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, would be great. But okay, um, so so I need a cinematographer. Got, right? We got Taika. Yes. Um, let's see, cinematographer for Taika Waititi and Martin McDonough. I mean, I don't feel like we need anybody special here. But how many non-special cinematographers can you name off the top of your head? <laughs> well, no, I know. I mean, you know what? Let's 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 add a little flair to it. Let's let's go with Roger Deakins. Jesus. Um, I mean, he works with everybody, and you know, I feel like this, he can, he be, it better be worth it because he's going to see the script and say, "Ah, he's like not enough silhouette shots." Um, Roger Deakins. I want to see where he takes us. I want to see what he brings to us. Brings to uh, brings to okay. So you um, just just for the record, you picked the most well-known cinematographer in the world. <laughs> okay. Doesn't need to be a, a good one, but Roger Deakins. Um, all right, actor, who's up? Actor or actress, Jeremy? You know what? I want to see a comeback from this guy. I want to see him do. I, I I know he can do sort of this vein of comedy seriousness. It's Harrison Ford. Mm. Good, 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 good. Oh, my God. This movie's going to be interesting. That's our lead actor? <laughs> That's our lead, yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Chapin, actress or another actor. That's fine. Actor or actress? Yep. I can I cut out the dead air. At... How about uh, they've worked together before, but I don't know if they've ever met. Um Lupita Nyong'o. Whoa. Lupita Nyong'o. What the hell is this movie? All right. Um, I'm going to, I mean, I got to cast. Um, uh, They're lovers. Oh, Lupita sake. and Harrison Ford are lovers. <laughs> oh, she <laughs> <geez>, now. <laughs> really? <laughs> In our movie, you think? I mean, maybe old, they are. How old is Harrison Ford? He's old. It's a weird movie, but whatever. <laughs> um, Thomas and McKenzie is going to be in this. Okay. Uh, working with Taika Waititi again. And I love her. Um, All right. Well, then if we're going to put somebody that seems to go, go with the themes, uh, I have to cast Sam Rockwell as well. Okay, perfect. All right. I think this is it. This is an interesting. All right, so what what is our movie? Martin McDonough script, Taika Waititi, 
shot by Roger Deakins, starring Harrison Ford, Lupita Nyong'o, Thomas and McKenzie, and Sam Rockwell. I think I think um, it's going to take place in a small town, and Harrison Ford is like either the sheriff of that town or the uh, detective. No, no, he's or, the mayor. He's the mayor of a small town. He's on his. He's just been elected I, I, for his twentieth term. Yeah. <laughs> but he he's he's committed a murder or something and he's trying to hide it while investigating it at the same time uh, um lupita nyong'o's like a like a outside police force of yeah some she's kind. A, she's a young yeah. fbi agent yeah young fbi agent um and, and everyone thinks it's the crazy guy who lives in town played sam by rockwell. sam rockwell thomas and mckenzie is harrison ford's daughter um okay i like it I'd watch that movie. Yeah, sounds hilarious. <laughs> it was very conventional for uh, Taika Waititi and Martin McDonough, but well, no, I mean those are, Mc... those are broad strokes. Yeah, um, I don't, and I also don't like the idea of returning Martin McDonough to a small American town. But yeah, it makes you nervous. Yeah, um, with Sam Rockwell. <laughs> um, okay, what do you think, guys? I mean, is this more fun just for us? It might be. probably. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to do a quick round of cinema sequence to save this podcast? Yeah, how do we play that? All right, so basically I say a movie, you have to say an actor in it. Jeremy then has to say another movie with that actor, and you just go around in a circle. Oh, yeah, I love that. I love that. That's great. And you have to – you seems very uninteresting for a podcast. But, <laughs> but, it, but the, way to, the way to make it harder yeah. is so I say a movie, you say an actor. Jeremy then has to say two movies – that that actor is in. I have to say... Uh, and then Let's I just ha- do it the regular way to begin with okay. and see how we do Okay, it. no right. cheating with IMDb, though, mate. No cheating and no foreign films, please, guys. So no portrait du dame en feu. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't worry. Uh, Park so All right, so why don't we start here? Tyke, uh, uh, we'll go with Jojo Rabbit, actor in that movie, Chapin. Scarlett Johansson. And then I just have to say a Scarlett Johansson movie, movie right? Yep. Um, Lost in Translation. Bill Murray. Caddyshack. Chevy Chase. Uh, Christmas Vacation. Ooh, it's starting to get tough. <laughs> oh, Juliette Lewis. Nice. Oh, no. And it has to be a movie, right? Yeah. Um... Crap. I mean, everything would be a, a, an acceptable answer. Oh, I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of Juliet Lewis, Juliet oh, Dreyfus, who's also in Christmas Vacation. Who's also in <laughs> right, Christmas yeah, Vacation? Right. Uh, yes. Um, uh, wow. Uh, what's that one? Uh, Natural Born Killers. Uh, Woody Harrelson. Uh. God, what is Woody Harrelson in? Uh, <laughs> how about three billboards outside Maliku de Estrada? <laughs> I mean, I mean, Missouri, sorry. Uh, Francis McDormand. Um, Fargo. Uh, so William has, H. Macy. All right, now we got to start making it harder. All right, so now, Jeremy, you have to name two movies that William H. Macy is in. Or, okay. And then right, I can I pick one of those, but I have to name two actors. And then we go on, then we move on to three, where Chapin has to name three movies with 
uh, one of the actors, I said. All right, so you're right. on two movies with William H. Macy. Uh, Magnolia, Boogie Nights. All right. So now i got to name two actors from one of those, so Mark Wahlberg and Julianne Moore. Chapin, you have to name three movies of one of those actors. Okay. Spencer Confidential. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, Lone Survivor. Contraband. Three actors from one of those movies, Jeremy. Oh, now we're getting real hard. Who else was in Spencer Confidential? <laughs> I like how two of Post those movies Malone. Jeremy watched on. Yeah. I worked on it, and I don't even know who's, who else was in that movie. Oh, oh um, Alan Arkin was yeah. in it. So he was in... Um, uh, what's the movie where they... Uh, the uh, Little Miss Sunshine, right? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Little Miss Sunshine. Wait, no, you, you have to name actors. You have to name three actors. So Alan Arkin. Uh, wait, no. I thought you said yeah, I had to name three, three movies. He did, th- he did three Mark Wahlberg movies. Yeah. So now you have so to I, pick one of those movies and name no, three no, he, actors from it. Oh, uh, okay. I got you. Really? Yeah. I don't have to name three Alan Arkin movies. No. Good. (laughs) That's my job. That's my part. Next. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, So what were your other two? Spencer Confidential, Lone Survivor, and what was the third one? Contraband. Oh, Contraband. Two of which, two of those movies I worked on. I said all this already. (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right. So, (laughs) fine. I'll do, uh, wait, what am I naming? (laughs) Three actors. All right. Alan Arkin. One of those movies. Alan Arkin, uh, Post Malone, and um, I don't think I can do it. I think I'm stumped. I'd never, I've never seen Lone Survivor. So Jeremy, so Jeremy loses. It's yeah. good, which is good because next I was going to have to name four movies with one of those actors. Yeah, that wasn't going to be doable. What's the guy's name in uh, that was in Us? He was Winston in, Duke. Winston Duke. He uh, yeah. Was in yeah. I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have been able to pull his name though. All right. Well, I, I clearly couldn't either. All right. So we're still working on trying to find a game that works. <laughs> Send in <laughs> yes. your ideas for games. I mean, Feed, we we feedback we were, at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. We were viciously attacked by someone by oh, a fan. Yeah. Which I don't know why we did. What are we supposed to do? Just name our top movies every week? I think it, I think it would just be like one time all your top movies. Is so can you can you elaborate, Chapin, quickly on, on how that works on, on Desert Island Discs, which is what you base your game well, off on, of? Do on, they just, on Desert I mean, Island Discs they like they, they take the well you can listen to it. I mean There's the, no the, theme to like the, the Ricky Gervais one is really funny and you'd probably get a kick out of it. But like um oh, so they yeah, have guests. You, it, 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 yeah, they have guests. Every week is a different guest and they say you know, what records they would take to this island and they play the records because you know it was an it's initially on a BB on the BBC, right, right. so they can play music, um, and they talk about the songs, and they t- and, and they use it as sort of a format to interview people by. Okay, and so I, I think the I think Tyson's point was, oops, I mean the listener's <laughs> point was, uh, you know, he'd like to have us do that, um, you know, and I don't think it, you know, I think the way we could do it and get out of like it just being our top five movies of all time is that. 
you know, the distinction the, is that we're all these are the only movies we'd ever have, and we'd want to be able to watch them over and over again. So maybe that would make things a little bit different. Yeah, um, but how many times could we do that? Once? Yeah, just one. I think he just wants us to do it once, but do it like right once. Argue, arguably, like the way to do it on a podcast where there's three of the same people all the time would be to theme the top f- five movies that you choose each time, which ultimately just goes back to what our top five is, and we've run out of ideas. Yeah. Like, top five movies about lesbians, for example, you know, random example for this we've week. We've done that. We've done that. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> we, like he wants us to do our Have top <laughs> five movies. Why is uh, it so hard for you to understand? I do understand, but I think we've intentionally avoided that, because how do you qualify that i don't like, even know i don't even know what would be my top five i, I have to revisit all the movies not, I've ever speaking seen. of that so oh. guys i i stumbled across my top 25 of the 2000s decade perfect yeah. let's let's end this podcast on a high note shall we um here am i here is my when top, was what year it was did two, you, 2000 was 2009 when I wrote this, okay, twenty five. So this isn't like all your. This isn't like the best movies ever up to that point, but rather no, no, no. of of the two thousand. So lay the time period out. This is two, from two thousand to two thousand nine films, okay. And I wrote down. I wrote. I I did my top twenty five. Um, I did a single post for each uh, each pick, okay. Now promise me, guys, that you do not hang up on me. With my number 25 pick, okay? Because there's a few that I'm slightly embarrassed by. Well, hurry up, hurry up. Number 25. Yep. Crash. Ooh. <laughs> oh, my God. Feelings have changed. Number 24, Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. Way too low. <laughs> number 23, No Man's Land. Good pick. That's the one where the guy is sitting on a grenade or whatever? Yeah, and has to poop. Um, next, pants, There Will Be Blood. Way too low. Way, Way too, low. too low. The forty-year-old virgin. All right. In the bedroom. Yep. Yeah. Munich. Great. Million-dollar baby. Okay. Little Miss Sunshine. I am legend. Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King. You had I am legend over. There Let's, will be blood. Can we stop? Please leave me alone. This keep is a long up, time dude. ago. Keep, keep going. <laughs> Traffic. We'll see how that holds up in a uh, few few weeks, month, maybe. Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, The Departed, Collateral, The Dark Knight. Wow. Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, Minority Report, Mystic River, Wally, Almost Famous, No Country for Old Men, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Memento, Sideways. Was number one. Gains respect towards the top of the list, top five. There's some questionable choices in there. Mm. We we could try to redo our list. It would change, I'm sure, drastically. Crash wouldn't make it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably wouldn't. Spoiler. Probably would not make the cut. Um. I had some, there was some honorable mentions that I mentioned, High Fidelity, Gladiator, both which we've re- revisited, and Moros Peros, Adaptation, and Punch Drunk Love. Adaptation would, would certainly have been on mine. Yeah, me too. 
Yeah, it would have been on mine too. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> when it wasn't. Uh, I'd lo- I wish we could find yours, Jeremy. You probably can. I probably if you go, it's gotta be somewhere. It was we did it on like Google's blog thing. Go to your Gmail. Yeah, we can stop recording. Okay. You wanna, all right. Exit us, please. This Jesus. is gonna wrap it up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. We'd like to thank everyone who stuck with us <laughs> through our through our games. Uh, next week, I think uh, we're gonna either do. Um, Never really, sometimes, always. That's my pitch. I would love to see that. I really like Eliza Hittman's movies. Um, or we're going to do Almost Famous. Um, either way, one of those is going to be coming to you. Hopefully some quick fixes in between. Hope everybody's staying safe. Thank you for listening. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.